This is Ainsley McEachran with Gemini Training Systems. Welcome to my ongoing podcast, Life After Sports. Let's get started. With me today, I have Burke Swindlehurst, former road pro and successful professional cyclist. We're going to get his impressions on his career as a professional cyclist. Burke, do me a favor and tell me a little bit about your history with, uh, you know, bike racing, how long you were at it, um, type of racing you did, and your experience. Uh, so I started uh, I started bike racing when I was 13, and uh, I started traveling pretty extensively by the time I was uh, 14. Um, there was a, uh, a local cycling team here in Utah. Uh, that was f- uh, funded by a guy who had actually won um, won a big jackpot of some sort in Las Vegas, like a pretty big jackpot. And he, so he had some extra money and just started a, a junior cycling team based out of here in Utah. And so we started traveling, you know, all over. We went to uh, the Casper Classic stage race in Wyoming, the Mammoth Lake stage race. And a lot of these races are no longer around, but. Um, there were quite a few really great uh, junior stage races, and we traveled all over the country, uh, did the national championships. Um, there was a race down in Bisbee, Arizona called the Tour of the Future, which we did. And so I, I started uh, racing and traveling um, quite a bit when I, you know, starting at about 14 years old and then uh, turned professional when I was, I believe I was 24. And uh, and then raced you know professionally for 14 years after that. Okay, and you you raced at a high level. You were with some of the better teams. Um, you know, I remember seeing you with uh, some of the big teams when I was racing as a pro. Mm-hmm. And um, and then did you ever get to do any racing overseas or anything? I did. I actually raced uh, overseas quite extensively for about six years, starting in 2009. I'm sorry, 1999, man, time flies. Right? <laughs> 99 uh, with Saturn, I, I went over uh, and did my first uh, my first overseas race, actually, was also my first professional race. Um, I did the uh, Tour de Lomcaui in 1999, and then uh, we did a lot of traveling that year. I think I ended up racing close to 100 days um, and, you know, raced in Denmark and did the Tour of Denmark, uh, the peace race over in the Czech Republic and Poland and Germany and and then, uh, then I went to uh, the Navigators team in uh, 2000, and we would spend usually around two to three months every spring racing over in Europe, uh, doing some of the the lower tier um, races that you know the, the bigger riders would use as preparation for the the classics and, and stage races. So, so I did get to rub shoulders and experience uh, a bit of European racing. All right. And, you know, that's a particular lifestyle on its own, getting used to, to spending time over there and the language and the travel, the food, the logistics, Yep. all of that. I raced a little bit in the Netherlands and Belgium, and, you know, everyone speaks perfect English in the Netherlands, and yet it's still culturally very different. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, you were at it for a number of years, and then tell me, what precipitated the, uh, the move to uh, stopping with racing? Jeez, ah, I don't know. It was, uh, I, I guess it was just kind of a culmination of factors. Um, I would say the biggest thing was is that I was unwilling to take 
the necessary risks in racing anymore. I became much more aware of my my physical well being and and uh, and I would say there were there was a lot of times when I mean I I literally feared for my life when I was racing my bike and, uh, and you know when you're in your 20s and early 30s that doesn't really get to you but as you start to get older and and uh, when you crash it takes longer to heal um, the injuries seem to seem to get more severe and I just started realizing like this this is you know. I could die doing this, and and that's something that you don't want to have in the back of your mind when you're racing because it takes away from your ability to do your job at, at the best level you can. Um, and I also, you know, um, I I think my motivation started to to wane a little bit, and I put so much pressure on myself to perform um, up to my own abilities and up to the expectations of teammates and sponsors and directors and stuff, and it, it just got to be too much where. Um, I was no longer enjoying it the way the way I used to, and and uh, I don't know. I just had kind of a when I was 37, my last year of racing. I I thought I in my mind I thought I was going to race until I was 40. That's kind of what I told myself. Um, and I'd seen other riders do that. A guy like Scott Moninger, and uh, and thought, yeah, you know, I could race until I'm 40 and still be competitive and and you know bring bring home a paycheck. And then something just a switch just flipped in me. Um, about midway through the season, and and I just knew like this is it. Like I'm done. I'm not. I'm not doing myself any favors. I'm not doing the sport any favors. Taking a spot on teams on a team where a younger rider could get get on there and have an opportunity to to earn a living. And um, and it also just became really difficult as an older rider to negotiate a, a decent contract, even though I was still capable of getting really good results, and I was getting good results. Um, the teams would always say, "Well, we can." You know, for what we're paying you, we could pick up three young riders, and and so they would start to use that as leverage to kind of get you to come down. And at a certain point, you say, you know, I'm not, I know I'm worth a certain amount of money for me to to invest in this lifestyle and the the uh, the sacrifice it takes, and I'm not going to do it for what they're trying to get me to do it for. So, I don't know. It was just kind of a, a culmination of factors. And was this uh, an idea that you struggled with, or it was pretty clear in your head once you? made the decision. I really struggled with it actually. I think the I think I first started thinking about pretty seriously about retirement in two thousand and five and it wasn't until two thousand and ten that I actually retired. Um so it was something that was definitely on my mind. Um and it took me a long time to to kind of grapple with what that was gonna look like and and when I finally did hit that that tipping point when I decided it was time I I was like a deer in headlights, you know. I had no idea what I was going to do, and and that was really, really scary. Yeah, that that was my next question. Then was as you were starting to formulate this idea about leaving racing, had you started to also formulate an idea about what you might do? Yeah, um, at that point, you know, I'd been working um, with the tour of Utah since uh, two thousand and four, doing uh, designing courses for them. Um, uh, I was the director of competition, so I was actually contacting the teams and recruiting teams to come out and do the race and doing that sort of thing. So I thought, well, maybe I can parlay this. Uh, at that time, it was a volunteer position. I did that for five years. Um, and, you know, I thought maybe I could parlay this into an actual job with them at some point. And, and that actually did come to fruition uh, in 2011, um, briefly. Uh, so I, I did have some ideas, but, uh, you know, there's always a part of me that's wanted to 
expand beyond cycling and, and redefine myself as something other than a, a cyclist or a bike racer. Um, but to be honest, I haven't, I haven't been able to wrap my head around doing something else that, that I loved as much as I do cycling. Um, and not being able to find that for me is a major stumbling block. Like you said, um, uh, just kind of, you know, everything else seems so mundane. <laughs> and, and after doing, doing something that you loved so intensely for so long, it's hard to wrap your head around, you know, maybe settling in your mind, settling for something less than being a hundred percent excited about doing your job every day. Okay. So day one, after you've retired from racing and you know, you, you don't have to go train, you don't have to, uh, handle the logistics for what your next event what is. How did you feel literally that morning when you woke up? Um, there, there was, there was some relief, but there was also a lot of sadness. Um, I remember that my, my last race was the final stage of the tour of Utah in, uh, in 2010. And I remember coming across the finish line and knowing that was my, my last event. And I just broke down. I just started bawling. And, and there was, there was definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of sadness there. And, and also just fear, you know, on, on what was next. And, uh, and, and honestly, that's still, I still grapple with that on a daily basis. And, you yeah. know, we're almost six years, six years on now. Yeah. And I, you know, it's been about 10 years and change for me. And I, there are mornings where I will wake up and go, man, there, there's a certain satisfaction about, uh, using your body to make a living. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's very straightforward. It's simple stuff. Um, so you started to move forward with Crusher and the Tusher. And, am I pronouncing that right? That's yeah, that's correct. Okay. And you know your other projects. How did those things come together? Were they slow, or did you all of a sudden say, you know what, I can use all this know-how to uh, move forward with this? Um, tell me a little bit about how you evolved into what you're currently doing. Okay, so actually, the, uh, the Crusher came about uh, very, very quickly. Um, so in 2010, after after the tour of Utah ended, uh, I was invited to take a position as the assistant director for the following year, so for the 2011 event. Uh, and I was really excited about that, and we started working on that basically even before the race was over. Um, I'd been working pretty closely with the two previous uh race directors, uh, Terry McGinnis, who, who has since passed away, but, uh, and then also, uh, Karen Weiss, who was the, the director at the time. And we immediately started working on the tour of Utah for 2011. And so I was able to kind of throw myself into something very quickly. And, and, and that was really helpful to me. Um, I, I didn't go through, a you know, a major depression or anything like that at the time because I had something to, to immediately sink my teeth into, but, um, as we started working on, on the tour of Utah, um, it became apparent that the, uh, the, the Larry H. Miller, um, company that, that, uh, is the title sponsor of the race, they wanted to see the tour of Utah at a UCI level. And that was exciting, but it also meant there were a lot of things we didn't know. So we had to bring in, uh, people that, that knew the UCI, the inner workings of the UCI. So, uh, we eventually contacted Medal of Sports. And they came on, and they, obviously they brought a huge uh, brain trust uh, to the project. And it became pretty apparent um, quickly to me that uh, m- what I perceived what my role was going to be within 
within the organization was was going to deteriorate and and I could also see it was very necessary to bring in their expertise so um, uh, about that time, I guess that was probably in January of 20, 2011, um, I realized like, yeah, I, you know, I might not have the future here that I, I thought I might. And so I started just thinking, well, what am I going to do? And, and, uh, I started thinking about how I'd always wanted to put on a, uh, a unique bike race myself down in, in Southern Utah in, in my hometown in Beaver. And, uh, and I thought, well, it's now or never like, Let's do it. So I just I immediately threw myself into that and started working on it, and and uh, it consumed me 24 hours a day, seven days a week for for six months basically till you know till I put it on the first time, and and it, and it still does. It's it doesn't take quite as much energy as it used to, but it's still um you know it's still my my uh, my focus and and it consumes me. So so that's good. Cool. So. Um are you doing any riding these days? Yeah, I still ride quite a bit. Um, I, I don't, I don't really race anymore. I usually do like one or two events a year just for fun, um, and, and generally events that are similar to the Crusher, just because I don't get to do the race myself. But it's something that I really enjoy that type of riding. And so I, I still probably ride anywhere from on the low end like five hours a week, and then uh, on the upper end. I might even put in a, a few 10 and 15 hour weeks here and there when I, when I have the chance. And so I, I do still maintain uh, quite a good level of fitness. And, uh, and, uh, and also, um, for me, more than anything, it's a, it's a mental health thing. When I don't ride my bike, my, my mental health t- deteriorates and I can fall into, uh, depression pretty quickly. Yeah. My, uh, wife and I, we frequently say that, uh, exercises are Prozac. Yeah. You know? Yep. And, um, there will be times where she'll I'll, she'll think I'm get crabby and she'll literally hand me my cycling shoes and say get out. Yeah, you know. So, <laughs> um, cool. Well, so it sounds like you've uh, moved into a project that is relatively you know satisfying. And, and what does the future hold for Burke Swindlehurst? Oh man, I ask myself that <laughs> I don't know how many times a day. It's it's one of those things where you know I'm still trying to figure out. Um, what what balance looks like in life because I feel like when I was racing, um, it wasn't a it wasn't a, a truly healthy balance between uh, I don't know I mean being a bike racer is like a lot of people think of it as being a very healthy thing but I I think I don't think it was that healthy. Um, oh no, I don't. I agree a hundred percent. And uh, and so yeah, so now I'm just trying to figure out like uh, basically cutting myself slack is the biggest thing that I struggle with and, and realizing that it's okay to be idle sometimes and, and, uh, <laughs> and relax, you know, I, I have a really hard time relaxing. Um, yeah. and, uh, so I, I, I do a lot of fly fishing, which helps me and, uh, and getting on the bike. And then, uh, I try and, you know, do as much, uh, stuff as I can in terms of, you know, volunteer opportunities and stuff like that to keep me busy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, Honestly, yeah. To answer your question, I have no idea what the future holds. Okay, I'm still the still the deer in the headlights. Yeah, you know, I, on the balance front, I I'm a dad now. I have a couple of kids, and mm-hmm. and um, uh, I like to joke now that balance is something that you would achieve. It's a, it's a temporary stopping point when you're on your way from one extreme to the other. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So uh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything else that you'd like to add or anything I missed or um, questions? Not really. No, I, I just, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk, you know, to talk about this because I think, um, you know, even though uh, being a professional athlete is a very, a very small uh, percentage of the population, I think the mental health issues that can arise from trying to define yourself after a, you know, a, an athletic career um, have some really big challenges and, uh, and they're, you know, I'm, I'm searching every day to try and find, find resources or, or be a resource if I can to other people that are, that kind of go through the same sort of thing, you know, and, and uh, you know, it, it, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, the, this is the worst thing in the world. I mean, I've, I'm really happy to have been a professional athlete and uh, feel very fortunate and, uh, and I have a lot going for me, but it's, it's, it can be really hard at times to kind of, um, you know, figure out how you're going to redefine yourself and, and fit into society outside of athletics. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, like I said, I'm always trying to find, find other people that are in similar situations and compare notes. And so I, I appreciate the opportunity to be part of what you're doing. 